Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing, science, and people who are making it happen behind the scenes. Hi, I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the Vice Chair of Education for the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Here today with me is Dr. Ellie Thiel, the Laboratory Director of the Infectious Diseases Serology Laboratory at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Thiel led the efforts to evaluate and implement the antibody test for COVID-19 that is available through Mayo Clinic laboratories for physicians and their patients across the United States. Dr. Thiel, thank, thank you, you for being for here today. Me. Happy to be here. So there's been a lot of interest in antibody testing, also known as serologic testing for COVID-19. So before we get into the specifics, can we take a step back and have you tell us how this is different than PCR and what antibody testing is to begin with and how it works? Sure. So right now, there's really two different types of testing for COVID-19. There's the molecular tests or PCR tests, which detect the genetic material from the virus and tell us if a patient has the virus or is infected at the time of testing. And then there are serologic tests, which tell us if an individual has had the virus in the past. And these serologic tests are really detecting our immune response to the virus by determining whether antibodies specific to COVID-19 are present in the blood sample or not. And these antibodies, they're essentially proteinaceous molecules that will bind to the virus and uh, inactivate or kill it. They're really a major part of how we fight off any infection. That's really interesting. So now for the listeners, can you explain if there are different types of antibodies and what those would mean? It takes time for an immune response to develop and there are different types of antibodies that form and are produced over time after infection. So for, for most infectious pathogens, IgM class antibodies and, and sometimes IgA class antibodies develop soon after infection within say seven to 10 days. And then after that, they're followed by development of IgG class antibodies, which are the longer lasting antibody class. And they're typically the ones that are associated with immunity against reinfection. Okay, thank you. So what of those, what type of antibody tests will Mayo Clinic laboratories be offering? So we've evaluated five different IgG-based enzyme-linked immunosorbent assays or ELISAs. And through our validation and, and verification processes, we've really identified two that perform uh, well and are fairly equivalent to one another. So for our Mayo Clinic Laboratories clients, we'll be offering an IgG ELISA that's uh, commercially manufactured by Epitope Diagnostics. And we're running this test on a Dynex Agility platform, which is an open immunoassay automated processing instrument. We've validated this test as a laboratory developed test. Uh, however, the company may be pursuing emergency use authorization from the Food and Drug Administration um, at some point in the future. And then we are offering this test on serum samples. Testing will be performed seven days a week on all shifts. Uh, our turnaround time goal is 24 hours, um, up to 48 hours once the specimen is received physically in our lab. That's great. Now, why did you decide to offer only an IgG test rather than a test that detects the other antibody types? 
right? So I think this is something that will set us apart from some of the other offerings that are provided by other laboratories. So we spent a lot of time considering whether or not to offer serologic testing for IgM and IgA class antibodies against COVID-19. Ultimately, though, we decided not to offer those tests for a couple of reasons. First, although the presence of these antibodies is typically associated with recent infection, IgM may be negative early on after symptom onset, uh, with many studies showing a sensitivity of less than 40% during that first week of symptoms. Also, there have been concerns about false positivity. So based on these, in, in our opinion, fairly significant issues, in the interest of patient safety and quality testing, we really did decide to forego IgM and IgA tests and only offer an IgG-based serologic assay to determine whether or not an individual has been infected with COVID-19 in the past. We strongly feel that molecular assays should be relied upon solely to make a diagnosis of acute or recent infection, not IgM or IgA-based assays. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we have this test for IgG. When should this test be ordered? Great question. And that's really <laughs> still challenging to answer uh, to a certain extent, given that we learn more and more about this virus and our immune response to it almost on a daily basis. So from a patient care perspective, one area where this testing is essential right now is for screening of potential convalescent plasma donors. As you know, over 800 institutions are now participating in these convalescent plasma clinical trials, and the ability to rapidly screen donors for the presence of antibodies to COVID-19 uh, will really be critical for these trials to continue. Additional antibody neutralization tests will be needed to confirm the eligibility of these donors, but using IgG ELISAs to screen is an essential first step because we need these donors to have IgG class antibodies in their blood, not IgM or IgA. Also, many clinics um, and hospitals and leaders at both the state and, and the national levels are considering using serologic testing as a means to determine whether or not someone can return to work. The idea being if that they're antibody positive, they're immune to reinfection compared to antibody negative patients. And I think we have to be cautious in this thinking. However, a positive result does likely indicate prior infection with the virus, but it does not indicate immunity to reinfection. Um, so based on that, I think we can say that an antibody-positive individual is at lower risk for reinfection compared to an antibody-negative patient, but that risk may not be zero. So using antibody testing as an additional tool for risk management purposes, I think is okay, and one that we will probably be pursuing here. Uh, but we cannot and should not say that antibody-positive individuals are immune or have protective immunity against reinfection at this point. Okay, so that's very helpful. I'm sure we'll be learning more about this as we go. Tell me a little bit about the sensitivity and the specificity of our IgG serology test. With respect to sensitivity, um, we looked at this by collecting serial samples from COVID-19 PCR confirmed patients. And what we saw was that patients begin to seroconvert to IgG positive around day nine or 10 post-symptom onset. 
And then over 95% of patients were positive by this assay after day 14 of illness. And this, these sort of IgG kinetics are consistent with what we see with other infectious agents. Okay, so what about the specificity then? That's a little bit tricky to determine um, because there are no tests routinely available to determine whether or not a patient has antibodies to the other normally circulating coronaviruses. However, prior seroprevalence studies done in um, 2010, 2011, indicate that over 90% of adults have antibodies to all four of these commonly circulating coronaviruses. So knowing that, to evaluate specificity, we looked at 150 serum samples collected from healthy adults in 2018 prior to the outbreak. And in that group, only one sample was positive by the epitope diagnostics IgG ELISA. Um, and then we also had one indeterminate result. So based on the high seroprevalence of antibodies to other coronaviruses and the very low rate of false positive results in our studies, I would argue that there's a fairly low rate of cross-reactivity of the SARS-CoV-2 IgG ELISA with antibodies against the other coronaviruses. Okay, that makes sense. So you would have expected to see many more positives if this test cross-reacted with those common circulating coronaviruses. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So that's really positive news. Well, thank you. That's very interesting. Now, I know that our test is maybe different than all the other tests out there, and there's certainly been an explosion of tests on the market. Can you tell us a little bit about how our test and our testing approach might be different from what else is out there? Um, we are really using an IgG-only um, assay to really focus on identifying patients or individuals with prior infection to be used specifically for risk management initiatives. Initiatives. Um, we're not using this test as a diagnostic, and, and that really differentiates us from other labs who may be offering IgG testing alongside IgM and IgA. Um, again, based on our earlier comments, we, we are concerned about the false positivity rate for those IgM and IgA assays and, and what clinical decisions would be made uh, based on those results. Additionally, some laboratories may be offering what's called a total antibody test, which looks for both IgM and IgG, um, but does not differentiate. And I think um, depending on how you're going to use those results, it would be important to know whether you're detecting an IgM or an IgG-based assay. So again, our focus has really been specifically to identify prior infection for risk management purposes, not to use serology as a, a diagnostic test of early infection. I think that makes sense, really focusing on the real-time PCR for detecting acute disease, since we know that that's actually detecting the virus or its genetic material itself. And also, I think it's worthwhile noting all of that validation work that you did, which may not be common in some of the labs that might have implemented these tests. It sounds like you've really well characterized the test that you're going to be offering. Yes, that's, that's a really good point. We've used over 300 well-characterized samples to rigorously evaluate the accuracy of the tests we're offering, and, and um, we really stand behind the quality of the results we're providing to our clinicians. How are we reporting results for this test? Um, so we are reporting a qualitative result, which would include positive, negative, or indeterminate, and we are reporting an index value 
Um, these are not quantitative assays, they are semi-quantitative, but we felt that given the pandemic and our growing understanding of how to use these serologic assays, knowing kind of what level of intensity or signal we're getting in these tests may be of value. Uh, for example, having an, a patient or an individual with a very high ratio or index value may lead us to think at least for convalescent plasma donation that that is a better donor than an individual with a very low index value. Um, so we're still learning how to use these, but we felt that this time it would be potentially helpful to clinicians, even though it does not indicate a true level of antibody. Okay. So you said you have a positive result, a negative result, but that there may sometimes be an indeterminate result. What does that mean? Can you tell me more about that? So indeterminate is basically we're seeing reactivity in the sample, but it's not enough. It hasn't reached a threshold to definitively say that an, an antibody level is there. So it's kind of a gray zone. Patients with indeterminate results, we recommend um, repeating the test in five to seven days to look for that seroconversion. Okay. That makes sense. So it sounds like you have a really strong test here with a robust validation and some real potential uses for it and how it could be implemented into practice. Do you have any final comments on the test that you'd like to end with? Well, I think it's important that we keep in mind what indicates infection at some point in the past. Um, we cannot say what level of immunity or duration of immunity these individuals have, but rather that they're likely at lower risk for infection. I think keeping that in mind when ordering the testing is, is really paramount for appropriate utilization and patient care. Well, very important. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Thiel. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into Answers from the Lab. If you are interested in learning more about what we discussed in this episode, please click on the website address below. Plus, be sure to subscribe to this podcast as we will continue to provide you with Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing, science, and people who are making it happen behind the scenes. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday.